Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is good morning. My name is Kevin, and uh, normally over our, our Carlton service, but this morning I have the joy of coming and joining you here and uh, sharing God's word with you. Uh, how about I say a little prayer for us as we start? Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we can meet together as uh, those who believe in the Lord Jesus. And uh, Father, we pray now as we come to your word, you'd help us to understand it, um, that you would shape and change us uh, to be servants of your Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to start with a question, right? Of all the people in the Old Testament, if you could choose two, right, that you think were the most important, what would you say? Right, you have to pick two. What would you say? Anyone want to have a go? Alan? Moses, King David, yeah, yeah. Anyone else want to have a go? Yeah? Elijah, yeah, 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 okay, very good. Well, we see an answer, I think, of sorts in, uh, in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, so if you remember, Jesus, he goes up on the mountain, he's transfigured, changed, and uh, here we go, Jesus was transformed in front of his disciples, his face shone like the sun, even his clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Uh, so it seems two most important people from the Old Testament, Moses, right, the great leader, led the people out of Exodus, and Elijah, right, the prophet Elijah, who we've been reading about in 1 and 2 Kings. Uh, in many ways, I think he's like the model prophet, right? The prophet par excellence, right? Which is why this chapter we're looking at in 2 Kings is so important, because it marks the end of Elijah's ministry, right? So if you look there in verse 1, it says, The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. So it seems that for Elijah, right, unlike the rest of us, would not face death, but instead would miraculously be taken up into heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll read this and I think, I think, why, right? Why is Elijah singled out for this privilege? Great question to ask, but it's not the question the Bible tries to answer. Instead, the focus of the Bible is not why did Elijah get taken up, but who will follow him? Who will be the prophet in his place? Now, of course, for us, we've just had our Bible reading. We know the answer, right? The one who follows is Elisha, right? Don't get the names confused, right? Elijah, the master. Elisha, the student, right? The one who follows. And uh, in fact, that's what we're going to be looking at in our chapter today. So you can see the outline two parts. Part one, Elijah departs in verses 1 to 12. And then part two, Elisha, his successor, is, uh, is confirmed. Now, the lead-up to Elijah's departure is told in quite some detail. We won't have time to uh, look all of it, uh, but you might remember some of the funny kind of conversations that happen. Uh, and I think the thing that we notice behind all this uh, is this great sense of sadness for Elisha. Right? Remember, Elisha, the student, well, he knows that his master is about to be taken away, uh, and he's, he's just really sad about it, I think. It's a reminder that this is happening to real people in real time, in real history, right? These two men, they've been working together for quite some time, 
and Elisha's really sad, right? I think you see that when uh, Elijah says, stay here, the Lord is sending me on to Bethel. How does Elisha reply? No, right? I'm not leaving you. I'm staying with you. The same thing happened. Oh, sorry, then the, the sons of the prophets, these prophets come out. They say, do you know the Lord will take your master away from you today? And he says, very kind of abruptly, right? Yes, I know. Be quiet, right? The whole thing's repeated again, right? And then I think you see it quite clearly at the very end in verse 12, right? Finally, when Elijah leaves, what does Elisha say? Well, he cries out, my father, my father. And once Elijah is gone, he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. Right? It's a reminder, this, this is what you would expect, wouldn't you? Right? The master, the student, they've been together. The master is about to leave. And so the student, Elisha, he's, he's really sad, right? Kind of grieving this loss. Well, let's pick up the story then in verse uh, 6. So we see the cycle repeated a couple of times. At verse 6, uh, they go to the River Jordan, right? Elisha not willing to leave, so he goes as well. The two of them get there. Verse 7, there's some uh, prophets who are watching. Verse 8, Elijah takes his mantle. Now, his mantle was like a, it's a piece of clothing, maybe like a cloak or a, um, uh, a robe, or I don't know, something that he was wearing. Uh, it's actually a really distinctive part of, uh, of Elijah's identity. So back in 1 Kings 19, when he first recruits Elisha, right, Elisha's um, plowing the fields, Elijah walks up, he takes his robe and he throws it over his shoulders, right? This kind of sign that you are, you are now with me. So anyway, Elijah takes up his mantle, he rolls it up and uh, he strikes the waters of the Jordan River and you can see there, verse 8, the waters part to the right and left. Then the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Just a little reminder, isn't it? This is why Elijah is so famous, right? He's the prophet of the living God. And miraculously, the waters part before him. Well, verse 9, the two men cross over and they have this little conversation. Uh, the master, Elijah, says to his student, tell me. What can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Uh, Elisha answers, he says, Please let me inherit two shares of your spirit. Now, what does he mean by this? Uh, well, if you've got a, a church Bible right, or, or a Holman Bible, you'll see there's a little footnote, right? See a little footnote there? Um, I'll put it up on the screen. Here we go. Uh, so you can read it. and I'll, I'll read it out. So this is the footnote in the Holman Bible. Two shares is the inheritance of blessing for the firstborn son. So you can see Deuteronomy 21. Here Elisha is asking for the leadership role among the prophets. Uh, now I'm not sure whether we're meant to read uh, Deuteronomy 21. I'm not sure if that's kind of what's meant to come to mind. Uh, but certainly what Elisha, the student, is asking for is he is asking that the role of leadership, the role of prophet, would be transferred to him, right? And I think you see that uh, a little bit later, right? A little bit later, the prophets, you might remember from the reading, they say to Elisha, right? They say, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha, right? And that's the kind of the, the high point, right? Confirming Elisha, he is the new prophet, right? So coming back then, coming back to, uh, to verse, uh, verse 9, 
Elisha is asking his master, he says, I want to take your place, right? I want to be the prophet who comes after you. And then Elijah, right, the master, he says something a little bit unusual, right? Do you see that? Verse 10, he says, you've asked for something difficult. And it's unusual because Elijah already knows this will happen. God has already told him, right? Back in uh, 1 Kings 19, this is when Elijah goes to Mount Horeb, God appears to him, speaks to him. This is what the Lord says to him, right? He says, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Haziel as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And listen to this, right? You are to anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahula, right? No mistake who it is, right? As prophet in your place. So Elijah already knows this will happen. So why does he say this will be a difficult thing? Now, I'm not sure what the answer is, but whatever it is, that is what happens, right? Elisha will take the place of Elijah, right? Look there, verse 10, he says, if you see me being taken from you, you will have it. If not, you won't. And of course, Elisha does see, right? He does see his master taken away. Right, that's what we see recorded for us very dramatically, I think. Right, Look there, verse 11, as they continued walking and talking. Well, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up into heaven in the whirlwind. Right? It's, it, it's such a spectacular thing, isn't it? I mean, what do you picture when you think of a chariot of fire? of horses of fire, right? It's, it's pretty amazing, isn't it, right? And then Elijah, he doesn't face death, but he's taken directly up into heaven. But for Elisha, the student, he doesn't just see this happen, right? Not just seeing one chariot, but notice in verse 12, he says, my father, my father, but then he, he sees more. He sees the chariots, right? Plural, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, It seems that Elisha sees not just one chariot, but the whole of the heavenly army, right? In fact, you'll see it again in two chapters, uh, sorry, two kings, chapter six, town called Dothan. He'll see the whole of the Lord's army uh, on this nearby mountain. And a reminder for us, isn't it, that the, the things that we can see and touch, that is not the whole extent of our world, right? There is more to this world than what we can see. And we see here that there is a Lord who reigns, right? Strong and powerful. The one who rules and reigns over all. Well, it is a very dramatic picture, very kind of exciting. But it does mark the end of Elijah's ministry, right? So here we are, part one, Elijah departs, right? Now now he has gone. Which then, of course, raises the question, well, who will take his place? Right? Who will be the prophet that follows? Now, we know the answer, right? It's Elisha, right? But the rest of the chapter confirms that he really is the prophet of the Lord. And you can see it kind of happen in three stages. He's confirmed to uh, the sons of the prophets, uh, then the people of Jericho, and then thirdly, to the people of Bethel, right? So first of all, to the sons 
of, uh, of the prophets. So look there at uh, verse uh, 13. Now just to kind of remind you of what's, uh, what's happened. So remember they've gone to the Jordan River. Uh, there's some sons of prophets, this kind of prophetic group that are, that are watching what happens. They see the two men cross the river. They see Elijah hit the water with his mantle. The waters come apart. They walk across. Then they see Elisha come back alone. And then basically he does the same thing. Right? When Elijah leaves, his mantle, that cloak is left behind. Elisha picks it up. He can see he rolls it up. He strikes the water. And, well, look at that. The waters part right to left and Elisha crosses over. So when the sons of the prophets, when they see this happened, they declare, look that, verse 15, they say, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed down to the ground in front of him. Right? So we see that Elisha, he is confirmed as the prophet who takes his master's place. Now, just as a little bit of an aside, you know, we've got that phrase, um, to take up the mantle. Have you heard of that? You know, when someone um, is leading a, a, new organ, uh, a new leader in an organization or a sporting team, we might say, oh, you know, Josh has taken up the mantle, right? Well, it comes from here, right? It comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, right? Literally, Elisha takes up the mantle, right? That this, this piece of clothing that his master have left behind. So next time the phrase comes up, you can say, oh, I know where it's from. And you can, you can recount the story of uh, 2 Kings chapter 2. Anyway, before we leave the prophets, there's one little thing else that happens, right? So the prophets, they say to Elisha, look, let's go and look for Elijah, right? Maybe he's been taken to some other mountain or valley. And uh, it, it, it kind of makes sense, right? Remember, they didn't see Elijah leave. They just saw two men go over the Jordan and then one come back. So they're like, oh, maybe he's been, you know, taken away to some place. And uh, so they say, let's go look for him. Elisha says, don't send them, but a little bit funny, they urged him to the point of embarrassment. <laughs> Not sure what that point is, but that's where they urged him to. So he gives in, he says, okay, go and have a look. But of course they don't find him, right? Just kind of really underlines the point, right? Elijah has gone, right? He's definitely left and Elisha, his student, will has been confirmed in his place. So there you go. So Elisha confirmed to the sons of the prophets. Now, the people of Jericho, right? So that's in verse uh, 19 to 22. Now, in one sense, this is a, it's a fairly straightforward story. There's a problem, right? The city of Jericho, it's in a nice place, but the water is bad and the land unfruitful. So Elisha, right? He is the solution. He gets a new bowl, right? Has to be new. Gets some salt, Right? throws it in the spring, and, well, incredibly, what happens? Well, the water is healed, right? The water is healed, and the land becomes fruitful. Uh, in fact, you can go to uh, Jericho, or near Jericho today. Here you go. Apparently, right, this is the spring that Elisha cleansed, right? There you go, the Elisha Spring Fountain. If you look up here, you can actually see the words of two kings, right? A little uh, passage from there is uh, printed out. So there you go. I'm not going to... Um, say whether that really is or not. But anyway, a little interesting, uh, interesting part to, uh, to remind us of. But the key thing is to note the way that Elisha does it, right? The way that this happens. So look there in um, verse 21, he throws the salt in, but notice what he says. Uh, this is what the Lord says. 
right? This is Elisha doing the job of a prophet, right? That's a prophet's job. They speak the word of the Lord, right? You see again, verse 22, the water remains healthy to this very day according to the word that Elisha spoke, right? So Elisha is, well, doing the job of a prophet here, right? Bringing the word of God. Uh, Now, in one sense, it'd be great just to kind of finish there, right? Just say a little prayer, I can sit back down. Uh, but no, there's, there's a few more verses, isn't there? That last couple of verses in verse 23, 24 and 25. Uh, just a little reminder, isn't it, that the prophet, the one sent from God, uh, they do bring blessing to the people of Jericho, uh, but they also speak the word of judgment as well, right? And that's what we see for the people of Bethel. Uh, well, let me read the little story again. So I'll read from verse 23. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking up the path, some small boys came out of the city and harassed him, chanting, Go up, Baldy, go up, Baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the wood and mauled 42 of the children. From there, Elisha went to Mount Carmel, and then he returned to Samaria. Now, in many ways, it's actually quite a straightforward story, right? We've got a group of people, they disrespect the prophet, right, the one sent from God, and so in doing that, they disrespect the living God, the one who rules over all, and so they face God's judgment, right? Not an uncommon thing to happen in the Bible. People rebel against God, and so they face his judgment, But of course, there are a couple of things that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? The first of all, of course, is the age of these people, right? Quite clear, they are small boys who come out of the city. Uh, So that's one thing. But secondly, it's what they say, isn't it? Now, obviously, you would notice, right, I share a similar (laughs) hair status to Elisha, right? I'm sure you've uh, noticed that as I've stood up here. But if someone was to call me baldy, right, I'm, I might get a bit upset, yeah, maybe, and maybe I'll just ignore it. Uh, but is it really worthy of death, right? Is it really worthy of death? Right? That's, that's the question we have, isn't it, as, uh, as we read this passage. Uh, and this is why I think we've got to be really careful as Christians, Right? It's very easy for us as people to come to the Word of God, right, with our own sense of what is right and wrong, what is just and fair, and for us to stand over the Bible, right, and to evaluate it on our own terms, right? But that's a mistake, isn't it? Isn't that an error to make, right? See, for us as Christians, we should come humbly before the Word of God, And we should let God's word shape our own understanding of what is right and true and fair. And so while this passage makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, well, I think there's two very things, so two things that we see very clearly, right? Number one, God will hold all people to account, right? Whether young or old, all people rightfully will be held to account for the way that they lived. But the second thing we see is that the wages of sin is death. See, for us as people, it's so easy to underestimate the seriousness of sin. 
But that is not the case, right? Sin is sin, and the wages of sin is death. What those small boys did when they harassed and chanted disrespectful things to the prophet of the living God, that was sin, right? And the wages of sin is death. It's important for us as Christians to sit humbly under the word of God and to let it shape our own understanding of what is right and true and fair. If I can just give a little aside, perhaps, for parents, right? I think this passage will include a bit of a challenge for parents, right? Uh, I'm also a parent with children. And it's a reminder, isn't it, that God will hold all people to account, whether young or old. Uh, as a parent, we often think uh, about the future. Yes, of course, we want our children to grow up as adults who follow the Lord Jesus. But it's not just about the future, it's about the present. Right? The wages of sin is death. And all people, whether young or old, will be held to account. And so I think this is a challenge for parents, isn't it? I mean, ask yourself, when's the last time you had a, a, a real gospel conversation with your kids? Now, of course, it's, it's, it's got to be age-appropriate. But when did you last talk to them about the realities of God's holiness? When did you speak honestly about the realities of sin? When did you tell them that, well, God's judgment is coming and without Jesus, there is no hope. When is the last time, in the words of 2 Corinthians, that you have pleaded with them, be reconciled to Christ? Right? This passage is a challenge to us. All people, whether young or old, will be held to account. Our only hope is in Jesus. We must trust to him if we want to avoid God's judgment. But coming back to the passage as a whole, now that we've looked at the chapter, we have seen, of course, we've seen the departure of Elijah, right? Very dramatically, he is taken away. And we've seen Elisha, right? Confirmed as the prophet of the Lord, the new one who will take his place. Now, for the original audience, the application is, is very clear, isn't it, right? Elisha, he's the new guy. Make sure you listen to him, Right? Very straightforward, very clear. And we'll see how that plays out in the next couple of weeks. But what about for the rest of us, right? What about for us now? We don't have the prophet Elisha. These happened many years ago, right? He's no longer with us. How do we respond to this story? Well, this is where I think the book of Hebrews helps us, right? We just finished um, providentially, right? The book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say? Well, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. See, for us as Christians, we don't need to look for prophets, right? We don't need to work out who's the prophet current at the time or who's the one who's been sent by God. Because God has spoken to us finally in his son, the Lord Jesus, right? We have everything we need. Jesus is the final revelation, right? We don't need to work out who the prophets are. Instead, we look to Jesus. When we look to Jesus, we have everything that we need. 
But again, just kind of reflecting a little bit on that final passage from our reading, there is also, I think, a bit of a challenge for all of us uh, in this chapter. That last little passage, it is confronting, isn't it? And we see the consequences of those who disrespect the prophet, right? The one who is sent from God. But to kind of pick up the theme of Hebrews, well, how much more serious to dishonor the son who was sent, right? We saw what it is to disrespect the prophet, Elisha, who was sent from God. But how much more the consequence to dishonor the son who was sent by the father, right? John chapter 5, Jesus himself says, anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And it's worth just reflecting on your life, right? To what degree have you honored the son? To what degree have you honored the Lord Jesus? Who comes not just as the final revelation, but he comes as the king, right? The rightful ruler over all. See, I think if we're honest, all of, all of us fall short, don't we? We haven't honored the son in the way that we should. And so rightfully, well, rightfully, we deserve God's judgment. Isn't that what we know is true as Christians? Yeah, by ourselves, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve the consequence of failing to honor the Son as the rightful ruler over all. But of course, that's not the final word on the matter, is it? I mean, Jesus came, the, the final revelation, right? God has spoken to us in his Son. Jesus came as the king who rules and reigns and demands that all people honor him. But he also comes as the suffering servant, our savior, right? The one, because of his great love, would take the judgment that we deserve. We deserve judgment. But Jesus, because of his great love, he takes what we deserve upon himself. What great news that is, right? What great news. We have the wonderful joy of being able to tell people <laughs> that we have a wonderful saviour, the one who gave his life in our place. And so if I can finish perhaps in the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that no matter how old you are, <laughs> whether young or old, can I plead with you? Make sure that you are reconciled with Christ. Make sure that you are someone who trusts Jesus, not just in the future, but trust in him now. And how about I'll say a prayer and pray that God would do that work in us. Let's join together and pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your word to us. Uh, we know that at times... We find your word challenging, uncomfortable. But Father, we pray that as your people, we would sit humbly under your word, that we would see what it is that you teach us. Father, we know that as humans, we so easily underestimate the realities of our sin. We pray that you would help us to have all clarity on this, that we would see your holiness, that we would see the depths of our sin that we would see the reality and rightness of your judgment and that we might rejoice evermore 
in our Saviour. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his willingness to take the judgment that we deserve. And we pray that for all of us, that we would trust him, not just in the future, but that we would trust him now and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.